You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Arlington Remastered. Chapter 14 The Hunt. From the Journal of Captain Annie Oakley, Marietta, Ohio, March 5th, 1883. That moment I watched the winged black line flying off into the sky, I swore right there on that spot that I would find it, discover what it was, and deal with it. I have no wish to kill such an altogether rare and magnificent creature myself. Understand, I was awestruck to behold the exotic ferocity of the attack. With the potential damage it could wreak, has occupied my thoughts since then. Somebody has to pursue that thing to the ends of the earth. And today, it looks like that somebody is me. My rapid questioning of the people of Lancaster two days ago had yielded no clues. So, spurred on by my communiques with Langley, and even word from my beloved butler, I hit the road in the late afternoon. Following a night and a long day's ride east, I found myself again in search of the tiniest scrap of information on that airborne catastrophe. I was cautious of pushing my horse, Dancer, to his limit, so rather than simply racing full pelt, I doggedly followed the trail, resting to speak to possible witnesses, trace the beast's flight plan upon my map, and gather any further clues as to where it might be heading. Certainly our manticore had not hidden itself from sight, and in fact, some folks accounted for it flying overhead in the opposite direction several days earlier. With some luck, it would alight soon in a place that we could reach. If I could choose anyone to have by my side for this hunt, excepting, of course, my husband, it would have been a keen-minded doctor with an eye for detail who I met last year. In his absence... And, as I'd left in a hurry, I grabbed the first soldier I knew and trusted. Someone who would at least back me up in a pinch. What the fuck do you want to chase that big bastard for? He'd eat you up in half a second. We need to know as much as we can about it, Carl. Gotta follow the trail while it's still warm. You gonna try and shoot it? I may. But I know we scored some hits the other day and couldn't take it down. Things may not be that simple. Doesn't mean I'll let that thing go. When it strikes again, that would be on my hands. There was something else in all of this. Something I hadn't seen yet. One lady, a farmhand named Clora, confided in me and my traveling companion. As the lion swooped over her, she caught sight of something on its back. Wait. You mean like a man? A shape. Maybe it was just part of the line, but it had a face. You think it could have been a chimera? How do you know about chimeras, Carl? Why are you so surprised, Cap? I done plenty of reading. Yeah, they got a goat head on their backs and a snake head on their tails, am I right? Well, yeah, but we've never seen one in America. Just because it's in books don't mean it's real. Besides... Chimeras don't have wings. Well, maybe this one does. I never saw no goat head or a snake. I don't know, maybe it transforms. 
Was the thing on its back a goat, ma'am? No. Well, there you are, then. I jumped behind the outhouse when I saw it coming from over yonder. I was sure it was swooping in to snatch me up. So I only saw it from the back. Definitely looked like a figure. I saw arms. A lot of black hair flying back. Could have been the mane, though. I ain't never seen no line before. Flying or otherwise. Can you remember anything else? That's everything I recall. Aren't you all the government sent to catch that thing? We're the ones who are going to do everything we can, ma'am. Thank you for the bunt cake. We rode on, southeast through the state of Ohio, surrounded by dense, tree-covered hillsides, following the directions of those who had spotted our quarry. On the third sundown, we stopped at Marietta, which stood at the mouth of the Muskingum River, on the border to West Virginia, to rest and resupply. We were starting to flag. Carl is a stubborn son of a bitch, and I had hoped that that would be strong enough to keep him going. But I can see the exertion beginning to wear at his stamina. Luckily, this city accepts military credit, so I was able to get us both baths to ease the stresses of the road. Carl's deep, dark secret that he would never let on to anyone, but that I've surmised about him nonetheless, is that he likes to be pampered. As I bathed, I inspected and carefully cleaned the wound in my leg from that spike I had received. Thankfully, it didn't appear infected, though it ached and throbbed. I sterilized and rebandaged it with our fresh medical supplies before rejoining my companion. We wandered, me with a pronounced lope, down the scenic byway near the river, trying not to think about what the hell we were ever going to do if we actually came across this manticore and its mysterious rider. It was there on a porch that I spotted a familiar figure. Lanky, reclining, and toothless, same as I remembered him. I marched over and greeted him warmly. Well, what brings you out here, Mr. Malloy? You on your travels around West Virginia? I have no idea what you're talking about, young lady. I was born right in that horse's trough over there. Been around these parts ever since. You're kidding, right? I met you last year. You're even missing the same teeth. You, you told me about a mothman. The name's Old Ned, and I don't know nothing about no half-man, half-moth. Something screwy here. Hey, old mama, what's this here fella's name? That's old Ned. He was one of my husbands a while back. Didn't work out. Nah, he liked to talk too much, jabbering at me in my sleep. You don't know what you're missing out on, old girl. Let's back it up here. Today, I'm chasing a flying creature you may have seen or heard of, and... I've been looking for someone who could tell me about it. You're talking about the scorpion line. I kind of knew you'd have an inkling on this. That's the one, sir. The creature is wanted in connection with the possible assassination of Vice President Rutherford B. Hayes. Oh, I've got a story. But I'll need some liquid refreshment first. Okay, sir. I'm going to sit down right here, 
Carl is going to fetch us a couple of tall glasses of sweet tea. I am. You are. And when he gets back, we're going to listen intently to everything you can tell us about this scorpion lion. Make mine a sarsaparilla, Sonny. Suddenly I'm a waiter now. While he's away, how's your son-in-law Colby doing? Don't know a Colby. Got a daughter-in-law named Annabeth Marie. I looked him deep in the eye. There didn't appear to be any hint of playing games about the man. His expression sat between grave and twinkling, which was what was so maddening, since that's the way his doppelganger had looked too. Good to his word, however, once libations were supplied, old Ned furnished us with more than we could have hoped for. Some time ago, a group of trappers came through Marietta on their way to Wayne Forest, east of here in the Appalachian foothills. They asked around as to whether we needed animal pelts or meat. They had a wagon with them, and they were fixing to catch enough to live through the winter off the proceeds. We warned them of dangerous creatures in the forest, and they took that information on board. Now you must understand these were experienced hunters who had dispatched their share of wolfmen in their time. Do you mean the infected? We call them wendigos. Well, we call them wolfmen around here. It takes a lot of grit and steel and lead to kill them, as I'm sure you'll have witnessed for yourself. These men had a healthy wariness of their kind, but were prepared to fend off any attack that might occur out there in the wilderness. Attack came. Late in the evening, on the second day, they're fallen upon in their camp. They fire off shots efficiently, hit their targets in the heart, and wait for the next wave that might come prowling, attracted by the sound of gunshots and those barks of theirs. But the second wave doesn't come, so they dig in for the rest of the night and try to get some shut-eye. Now... The feller who pulls watch on the third hour went by the name of Niles Larson. Big guy. Nordic descent. Hard to shake up. He sees something out there in the mist. Standing up straight, unlike those wolfmen. But he's just too big to be human. Too wide. So when it turns to look at Niles, he's sure he's looking at a bear. Great, shiny black eyes are staring at him from where the head on the shadow would be. He wakes his companions quietly, but when they look out there into the forest, nobody can see it. Not wanting to get surprised again, they march out with rifles raised, right to the spot Niles saw it standing. Nothing there. When they get back to their camp, the one who remained is gone. They call out his name. Dolph, they call. Come on back now. But nobody replies, and Dolph ain't nowhere to be found. The horses have been turned loose, which is one thing. But the bodies of the wolfmen are gone, too. Then they start to get real afraid. The arguing begins. What if the wolfmen weren't dead after all? What if these are special ones? What if they can't be killed? The leader of the group, a man named Svensson, is a smart fellow. 
He has them all sit in a circle with their backs to the fire and guns handy. That should keep them safe. Nothing can sneak up without being spotted. As time drags on, several of them start getting anxious and nature is taking its course. Some of them are feeling a powerful urge to empty their bowels. They have to choose whether to drop trowel and go there next to the fire or step outside the circle. Charming. We all gotta go sometime, Missy. So Gerard is the first one who breaks. Svensson orders him to stay by the fire and he obeys. His companions are all grumbling at the smell. And that's around about the time when Dolph comes back. He bolts from the woods, clothing torn, screaming. The men are off guard. Gerard has his pants around his ankles, and nobody knows what's pursuing Dolph. So nobody shoots him until he's on top of Svensson, tearing his throat out. His eyes are orange, his face savage. He's already turned, and suddenly they're without a leader. Now only three of them are left alive. Gerard, Hugo, and Niles. Niles then decides that Svensson's plan sure as hell didn't work, and they won't last the night sat here. They need to get out of the woods. He tells the other two to stick with him. They light torches and head out into the trees, looking for the pathway back to the road. They hurry through the cold mist, eyes darting all about the place. But now they can hear something circling them. Something big. That's when they hear noises the other direction. And they realize their hunter ain't alone. Hugo goes down, screaming with something sticking out of his chest. And in the flash of torchlight going out, his companions see it's a long spike, dark red, sharp, and venomous. I've seen those. Then you'll know how deadly they are. Gerard bolts into the mist, hollering up a storm, while Niles pulls Hugo to his feet. The man is breathing shallow, and any attempt to pull that spike out is met with cries of agony. But Niles supports his friend and pulls them onward. He doesn't even know which way he's heading, he just knows to turn away from the sound of Gerard's screaming, which gets real high and frantic, and then stops all of a sudden. They stagger through the forest until the light from the fire is far behind them. Niles pulls them down behind a fallen tree, and cradling his companion as the man begins to shudder his last, he tells Hugo to lie still, praying the heavy pine sap around them might mask their scent from whatever is out there. It is pitch black. They hear the sound of approaching footfalls. It's the bigger one. Then they hear its breathing. Now see starlight above them, ending in the tree line ahead in a vast, dark shape. Two sets of black eyes are looking at them. Hugo grips Niles' arm as the last of his strength leaves him. Niles pulls out his bowie knife and prepares to defend his friend's body to the last. The attack never comes. 
The shape draws open its wings and takes to the air. And Niles crouches there until dawn, trembling. Afraid to move an inch in case something else shows up. At first light, he realizes if he stays there much longer without cover, he's going to be as dead as his buddies. Bidding a tearful farewell to Hugo, who's gone cold and stiff, Niles sheathes his blade, squares his shoulders, and sets off at a jog. He runs downhill until he hits the road, and then follows it back here. He gets brought to our hospital at mid-morning by the ones who found him staggering into the city. I happened to be in there having my elbow bone fixed, so I was lying next to him while they administered to his wounds, which were sparse on the surface, but not below. So he told you all of this? So he did. Swore blind on every detail. What happened to Niles? Did he stick around? Nope. Healed up and headed west with the next group that came through here. Could it all have been a lie, though? Or only partly truthful? Maybe him and his partners were quarreling over a find and things turned ugly. But don't you think he'd just blame it on the Wendigos? Why describe this attack? And these monsters with such detail? Overkill. Make up some cock and bull nonsense to cover his tracks and scare up the locals. Ain't nobody going to go looking with a story like that. Well... We are. I knew you'd say that. You think there was two. Could have just been the manticore. Mine can play tricks and make sounds come from all kinds of places. And maybe his vision was blurred. Made him see two sets of eyes. But if Clora was telling the truth about seeing a rider, then yeah, there's a pretty good chance we have our two. So one of them's the manticore. What the hell is this other thing? Is it a human from this world, or did he come from someplace else? That we have to find out. What do you think, old Ned? Seemed to show an intelligence and motivations beyond just going in for the kill. Could be he's a man, or at least what remains of a man, or what should have been a man, or perhaps what might be a man someday. Why do you think he left Niles alive? So he could tell of the beasts he saw. Keep other folks out of that forest, if that's his territory. Either way, if he's close with the scorpion line, you watch yourself out there, miss. And if this guy sent his scorpion line to kill my vice president, he'd better watch himself. Sir? I'm going to need to know where in this town I may purchase the largest, most powerful gun I can comfortably and accurately fire. Two of them.
You have been listening to episode 14 of Arlington Remastered. The Hunt. Written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Annie Oakley, performed by Loretta Saylor. Carl and Old Ned, performed by Alex Shaw. Clora, performed by Maureen Foley. Old Mama, performed by Sharon Shaw. Battle Hymn of the Republic, performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. One Wild West, performed by Edward Blakely of Shockwave Sound. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. And Stone Spring Maidens is now available in paperback form on Amazon.com. And if you're on our Patreon at the $10 level or higher, then access to the ebook version is part of the bonus package you receive. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Evan Jankowski, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Gasiga, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joseph Gluck, Kat Esman, Kevin Vey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksch, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Scott Jacob, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. 